Well, it's a privilege to be here this morning. Again, my name is uh, Greg Davidson. Uh, I'm probably a stranger to many of you. I've been here at Mercy once before. In fact, I think my second Sunday ever as a pastor uh, in, the, in this federation was here at Mercy, and uh, they, they threw a baptism on me as well, just to make it a bit more complicated. This new guy, and I see uh, Tim at the back there, uh, and I think I was one of your amazing children that I had the privilege of being part of that service with. And uh, I, so I'm, I grew up in Ottawa, uh, amazing town. I met at least one other person here this morning who was from that incredible city that warmed my heart. Uh, but it's a privilege really to be here. In fact, when I was first called into the ministry in the 1990s, I was part of a church plant, a church that was beginning. And I know Mercy is beyond beginning, but I was part of one of those church plants in about 1996 in the town of Haven near Ottawa. And I remember as a summer student on the way to seminary, I spent pretty much the whole summer knocking on people's doors in the neighborhood and giving out pamphlets saying, hey, would you like to, uh, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? Would you like to come to church this Sunday down at the recreation center? And that was, uh, say, perfectly terrifying. But it's, uh, it's lovely to be here with you, and it's my privilege to share, I hope, uh, the gospel message, a gospel message with, with all of you. And uh, Pastor Ian, as you may have heard, is uh, delivering God's word over at Blessings this morning. Our first reading is Psalm chapter, Psalm 118, just some selected verses. You'll see these on the screen, many of which verses point us to the story of Easter and our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Our New Testament reading in the text for today's sermon is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 15. I invite you to uh, follow along in your Bibles. If you have a physical Bible with you, great. I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 28. If you have a digital one, search it up. And we'll follow along together this morning, uh, Matthew 28, verses 1 to 15. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, and this remembers the tomb in which Jesus' body was laid, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. 
greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, have your way among us through your word this morning, we pray. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. Uh, may our hearts be open and ready to receive what you have for us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, today we, and this Easter season, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave in bodily form. In fact, I would say that if we were not celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave in bodily form in this Easter season, we could probably go ahead right now and unplug all of these cables over here tidy them up in neat little circles. We could take the guitars and put them in their cases and walk out the back doors. We could take the sound equipment and the drums and dismantle them and put them in the back of somebody's trunk. Because Christian faith, as we read about it in the New Testament and read about it in the Bible, does not, dis does not start with, with a book, doesn't start with even the book of Genesis. In fact, Christian faith, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to put our faith in Christ our Lord, hinges on the res his resurrection from the grave. And in fact, I don't think it's too strong a thing to say that had Christ not risen from the grave in bodily form, as we see in this and understand in this passage, we might be able to say, I think, that the church no longer might need to, would cease to exist. The Apostle Paul says as much in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. And so as we come to this story of uh, the first Easter morning in Matthew chapter 28, uh, we must 
must remember that we see in this story that important moment at which the Christian movement and Christian faith began. As we come to these chapters, this, this, these verses, I'd like us to look at them in four uh, sections. The first will be the miraculous intervention. The second will be the angelic announcement. Then the post-resurrection appearance. And then the hostile witnesses. So this passage starts in verse 1, however, and it sets sort of the context for this passage. In verse 1, we read that after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. After the Sabbath at dawn. So just remember now what has happened up to this point. Uh, this is sunrise on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day uh, started on Friday at sunset and went all day Saturday and then ended at sunrise on in this kind on Sunday morning, in our, in, our, in our language. And a lot has happened around the Sabbath sunset and then this sunrise, this dawn of a new day. Remember on Thursday night, Jesus meets with uh, his disciples in the upper room. He goes to the garden and then we have the whole series of trials she undergoes. We have his beating, his mocking, his crucifixion eventually on the cross on Friday, and then his death when the sky turns dark. And it's incredible how quickly all of this has happened for the followers of Jesus, for the disciples and for the women. In fact, it's all been quite a rush. It's all been quite busy. Everything has changed so quickly in just a matter of a few hours for them. Are you coming? Are you, it's up to you. <laughs> Thanks. You want me to use that? Yeah. All right, no problem. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> okay, how's that? Usually, when someone dies in the Jewish tradition, there was quite a long time uh, to prepare the body for burial. There was a process. It was gradual. But here Jesus dies on Friday, and all of a sudden uh, the sky goes dark. They're looking uh, to uh, get uh, the burial part done before uh, all the Sabbath begins, and the process is maybe truncated in some ways. The, Jesus has died as well. They're not sure what that even means. And so there's a bit of busyness. There's a bit of rush. There's a bit of hurry in Jesus going into the grave. And so, uh, and we read in Mark that, that spices are being prepared to anoint the body of Jesus. That hasn't even been finished yet or completed yet. And so here comes the woman on the Sabbath, uh, on, the, on, the, on the dawn, uh, after the Sabbath, that first day. And there, it's been a rush. <laughs> it's been a hurry. In some ways, they're, they're, they're finished the burial process of Jesus, according to Jewish custom. But in another sense, it's as if the women are there to simply catch up with all that's happened. This Jesus that they were following, the disciples were following, is now dead. The whole thing's over. Our dreams have been turned upside down. The direction of our lives is now stopped. And we're not sure what the future holds. And so they get there on the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary and the other Mary who are there at the tomb, and they come and they look at this tomb. 
And little do they know that what will happen in the next few minutes, that they're there at the dawn chronologically, but they're also there present at the tomb at the dawn theologically. They really are there to be witnesses of the dawn of a new age when death will be no more. So we come to verse 2 and 3 and 4, and which is the first section I wanted to highlight with you, which is the miraculous intervention. And so the uh, women come to the tomb. There's a great earthquake, it says, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. This is a miraculous intervention. This is something heavenly that is happening. Now, when you think of angels, and there's an angel in this story, we just see an angel of the Lord has come down. When you think of angels in the Bible, please just set aside all of the angels you see on Hallmark Christmas cards that have white fluffy wings and are smiling. Because angels in the Bible, for the most part, and I think in this case as well, we need to remember that if you meet an angel, something big is going to happen. Joseph and Matthew is woken up in the middle of the night by an angel and told to do something ridiculous and outrageous. We read in Luke that Zechariah meets an angel and he can no longer speak. We read in Daniel that an angel has appeared and he's just come back from battle, heavenly battle. We read in Acts that an angel breaks chains and opens prison doors. Friends, the angel in this story we need to take as a heavenly messenger, not as a cute, fuzzy kind of thing floating up in the air. This is a messenger from the courts of heaven. And we see in verse 3, this angel described as having appearance of lightning and clothes being as white as snow. If we read Psalm 80, verse 1, we're reminded... Let us hear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. There's a shining glory of heaven. And in Psalm 104, praise the Lord, O my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great, clothed in splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. Can you picture, friends, the shining light of heaven, an angel of the Lord coming down on that first Easter morning in this miraculous intervention? There's an earthquake. The angel comes down. The earth is shaking. We know that earthquakes are often a sign of God's announcement or something major happening. It's the second earthquake in just a, two, in just a day or two. On Friday, there's an earthquake in Matthew 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. And bodies of holy people who had died were raised to life. The angel comes down from heaven, bright, shining light. The earth is shaking. Something's happening here. Moses on Mount Sinai, an earthquake shaking when the law was given. God is doing something here. This is miraculous. This is not a human event. This is not something the disciples have imagined or made up for themselves. It's not a feeling in the hearts of the disciples. 
an experience they had in their own minds. We see here something heavenly occurring. The angel, it says in these verses, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The stone that was supposed to keep Jesus dead in the tomb. This angel rolls it back and sits on it. Little details matter sometimes, matter in the Bible a lot, but in these stories, little details really matter understanding this. You ever noticed up in Matthew 27, uh, there is a comment about, uh, verse 62 to the end, a comment about Jesus' tomb being made very secure and also having put on it the seal of Caesar. This stone was never meant to move. There were guards set beside the stone. There was the seal of Caesar, uh, the Roman power on that tomb. That stone was supposed to stay unmoved. Very hard to move, impossible to move unless you had the emperor, the ruler of the earth. It's okay to move it. Yet here at the beginning of this Easter story, you have the angel from heaven rolling this stone away in the darkness of the early morning, shining in the brightness of heaven, sitting on the stone that was supposed to keep death in its place. And if you can picture that, I think that you can picture here in, that little, in this verse Something of what the living God, who sent Jesus Christ, his son, to earth to be our Savior, you can picture something of what the living God thinks of death. I'm now sitting in triumph and in victory upon the stone. Isaiah 25 and verse 8 predicts that death will be swallowed up in victory. Jesus Christ himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. Revelation 20 and verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The irony in this opening section, I think, is found in verse 4. The guards are afraid of him <laughs> that they shake like dead men. And you just see God turning this whole thing upside down. You see the guards who are assigned to uh, guard the dead. They now appear to be the dead ones, while the one who is dead has been made alive. And you see the work in hand, the miraculous intervention of God at work raising Jesus. Miraculous intervention. Easter begins with the miraculous intervention of the supernatural work of God. And the second part of the story then goes to this angelic announcement in verses 5 to 7, in the angelic announcement. So the women are there, and the angels say something to the women. And as we look at these few verses, I want to just break this down, if we could, into the angels giving the women a fact and giving the women an explanation. A fact and an explanation. So the, women, the angel says to the women, do not be afraid, for I know the one you're looking for is Jesus who was crucified. That is, the angels confirm here at the beginning of their announcement that this is the personal Jesus Christ, the one who was born in Bethlehem, 
The one who preached and ministered in Galilee and around Jerusalem. The one who died on Calvary. The one who was crucified. It's him in the tomb. It's not some phantom. It's not some ghost. It's him. And then the angels give this for fact. This stark fact. In verse 6, he's not here. That's what they say. He's not here. Now, the women would be surprised by this. <laughs> the women were sitting at the, they were at the cross, and they were also with Joseph at the tomb, watching the burial finish and Jesus being put in the tomb. What do you mean he is not here? We saw it all happen. All the Gospels say that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is not there. We have the Roman world involved in this, the Jewish world involved in this, the followers of Jesus involved in this. Everyone knows that he was put in this tomb. What do you mean he is not there? And I think for all of us, considering the Easter story, and maybe some people are here this morning who are thinking about Christianity or or new to this idea of church and new to this idea of Jesus Christ. This is a, uh, a fact that stands in the midst of history that all of us are invited, I think, and welcomed to consider. And if I could just share one thing, especially for those who may be skeptical this morning, considering Christianity the first time or second time, but it, if I can just say that um, when it comes to uh, many scholars, uh, Christian or non-Christian, people of faith, people who are atheists, there is great agreement in the historical veracity of the New Testament witness and in the manuscripts of the New Testament. There's not a lot of debate about whether those manuscripts that have come to us through history as God's Word are actually true or not, or real or not, uh, historically speaking. And I have a little slide here I wanted to share with you, especially for those who like this kind of thing and are thinking through this whole Easter, uh, this whole Easter work. So we have seven historical texts that point to Plato. We have eight that are connected to Herodotus, the great historian. We have 49 that are connected to of Aristotle. Guess how many we have? Well, Homer, 64. Guess how many we have? manuscripts that the Holy Spirit has used and given us the final form of, of the canon of the uh, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, for the New Testament manuscripts, we have 5, 000, over 5,000. So when it comes to the historical veracity of the witness of what happened to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, i.e. that when the first witnesses came to the tomb, it empty, there really is no question or debate about that. It's what we as people living in creation, the world, do with it. The angels give an explanation of this. They give an explanation of what has happened. He's not here, says the angels. He has risen. <laughs> That's the explanation the angels give. Agero, he is raised. He is raised up. It's a word that's used in Matthew 10 and 11 about someone who was dead being raised up from the dead. The angels don't say that he was sick and now he's better, or that he was tired and now he has energy, or that his breathing was weak and now his breathing is incredibly good. 
The angels say that he's risen. He's risen from the dead. God has raised him from the dead to life. The angels announce this from heaven. And friends, that's the explanation that each one of us as Christians uh, can base our lives on, can base our families on, can base our churches on. The tomb is empty. Why? Because God has raised Jesus from the dead and death is no more. That the victory is God's in Jesus Christ. The angels say he's risen, not just in a vacuum, but just as he said in verse 6. Just as he predicted. Which I think in this day and age is an important phrase for us to consider. Oftentimes people may see Christianity, especially for us as trying to reach the city for Christ in our culture and in our time. You can often see Christianity as some European import, you know, uh, an old, uh, a cultural kind of import from elsewhere. But Jesus predicted that he would die. The scriptures predicted that he would die and rise again in Matthew 16, in Matthew 17, in Matthew 20. Son of man must be killed, he must suffer, and he will be raised again in three days, we read. Friends, this is the work of God in history. It's not part of one culture or one time or one place. It's the work of the living God in history for all people. Jesus was not an ethical teacher. He was not a mystical guru. He was the living, he was the son of God come down from heaven for a purpose. To save his people, says Matthew, at the beginning of Matthew, to save his people from their sin. Jesus opens the gates of eternal life. That problem of sin and death. No matter which philosopher you read over the ages, which worldview you uh, may be interested in, Maybe some of you are studying right now. Uh, that problem of sin and death stands at the center of every academic philosophical page ever written. And here Jesus, the living Son of God, defeats death and he's risen. Easter is the most important message any of us will ever hear that God has come down from heaven veiled to take on human flesh that he's taken our place we broken sinners deserving of God's wrath he's taken our place he's died on the cross that we may live in forgiveness have the forgiveness of sins and live in fellowship with our maker now we read the, that verse at the opening of our service the early Christians lean on this truth. They bet their lives on this truth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, maybe the slides will find it faster than me. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to read it off the slides. There it is. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you, 
heaven. My Bible just fell off the podium, pardon me, <laughs> and it actually broke. The top came off. <laughs> okay, time to get a new Bible. <laughs> much, much love, much use. <laughs> pardon me. 17 years preaching, that's never happened. I think the uh, podium's a bit skinnier at Mercy, maybe, I don't know. Um, yeah, so where, where are we? Yeah, so the angelic announcement. The angelic announcement. He's risen just as he said. And then the uh, women are told by the angels to go and to tell the disciples. So we have the miraculous intervention. We have the angelic announcement. And thirdly, we have in this the post-resurrection appearance. The post-resurrection appearance. In verse 8, it's up on the screen for you. We see the women, they're hurried away from the tomb. They're afraid, yet filled with joy. And they run to tell the disciples. Isn't that, isn't that phrase beautiful? Afraid, yet filled with joy. <laughs> the women go in joyful obedience from the angel telling them to go and share this news that he has risen from the dead, just as he said. That little phrase, afraid, yet filled with joy, is a little phrase all of us can write, you know, on the top of somewhere, somewhere. It's kind of a model for discipleship, as a model for worship as a model for our lives, that we have a, a reverence, a, a fear of the holy God, as, as, as it were, but also a joy. In fact, we're most free when we are captive to the living God. And off they go, and they run to tell the disciples. And in verse 9, it says, suddenly Jesus met them. Suddenly Jesus met them. It doesn't say that they met Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't say that they were out wandering and because they were so well uh, organized and so well planned and so well informed and they were so well educated that they went and found Jesus. No, the Easter story says in verse 9 that Jesus met them. And friends, all throughout the New Testament, we see these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Again, if we take that slide earlier of the historicity and veracity of the New Testament witness has come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we look at these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Jesus appeared uh, to people at, after he rose from the dead. The New Testament witness says, in the morning, at noon, and at night, he appeared to people on the, by the lakeside uh, near boats. He spoke to people. They could hear him. They could see him. He ate with people. The, post, the resurrected Jesus spoke to people words that would change their lives, that would turn their lives around in a completely different direction. He met with Peter on the beach. He met with the 500, 1 Corinthians 15. Saul on the road to Damascus, he appeared to him. And here he appears to the women. What does he say? He says to them, greetings, which is just the word for rejoice, which is just the word that uh, was the normal word when you might meet somebody in that time. Jesus uses regular, everyday language to address the women. The living Jesus, the risen Jesus, doesn't use the opportunity to retell the women the Sermon on the Mount 
or some long theological treatise. The living Jesus risen from the grave simply greets them in their lives. And I think this is part of the good news for us, wherever we are in our lives, whether we're struggling in the brokenness of sin, disappointment, (laughs) addiction, uh, hopelessness, concern, worry, anxiety, self-loathing, all of those things. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is alive and he comes to meet us by his word and spirit today. And he's present. And he speaks to your heart and to mine. I'll tell you the story because I've told it every single Easter season since I was called into the ministry on this verse there's a pastor in New York City who called Scott Black Johnson who went to seminary to become a minister and at seminary his uh, had a friend and they would always talk about Easter and what does it mean and they would talk about Jesus being risen from the grave is like Jesus being on the loose in the world and in your life and mine. Every single year since the two of those guys were ordained and doing ministry around the United States, every single Sunday, Easter Sunday, that room, there would be a call on Scott's telephone. It would be like ring, 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 ring. And he would pick it up and there'd be just a voice, just a single voice, and they would just say, Jesus is on the loose, and then hang up the phone. And I think for all of us, I hope that we'll take that from the Easter story and from this story, that Christ is not still in the grave, but he is risen, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and through his word and spirit is active in our lives today. Jesus, the women want to stay and worship Jesus, they clasp his feet, But instead, he says to them, go. So the the miraculous intervention, the angelic announcement, the post-resurrection appears. And finally, the story ends with the hostile witnesses. Oftentimes, we don't read this part during the Easter season. We might save it for later. But remember, in the witness gospel of Matthew, the Easter story ends with this kind of strange set of paragraphs. And the strange set of paragraphs enlighten us as to the people that were around the time of Christ's resurrection and what were they saying and how were they responding to all of this. In verses 11 to 15, what we see are witnesses uh, dealing with a plan, (laughs) And the plan that they have is in the middle of verse 13. It's a plan on how to deal with this fact that the grave is empty. How to deal with the fact that he is risen. How to shut down this world-changing, incredible news. And it says, you are to say to his disciples, you are to say this, not that he's risen from the grave, alive, has done what he said he's going to do. You're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. (laughs) Now, 
going to say two things about that. First of all, um, if you were in that time in a position of power and influence, like the leaders in that day were, the easiest way to disprove the resurrection of Jesus from the grave would be what? If you've got power, authority, just grab his dead body and show it to everybody. You see on TV sometimes, you have the capital funerals in the United States, a dead body right in wherever that is, the capital, and crowds streaming by to pay their respect to that dead body. In Parliament Hill sometimes, there's those funerals. They go through the, the, the marble walls of Ottawa, and there's a coffin there, and people walk right by, and they look and that pay their respects. If you're in a position of authority and power and perfectly in this, these verses, the leaders in that time were, and you want to disprove this incredible thing that the living God has done, then just show his body. Put it out. Have everybody walk by. Look, the man's dead. He was just a man. He was just a teacher. Move along. It didn't happen. It, we didn't see that. Second thing about this theory that I could just mention, this witness theory that I could mention is, is this. There, there, there's a ludicrous nature to verse 13, this theory. Is to just say the disciples came and took the body. <laughs> now remember, and I'll finish real quick here, but remember, <laughs> the, Jesus is, is in the tomb. The tomb has been sealed by this stone under Caesar's authority. And the idea is we're going to say that, uh, what, 10 or 11 fishermen uh, bumbled in from northern Galilee in the middle of the night. Uh, they, they moved the stone. They got out their big crowbar. They a sledgehammer, cracked a few stones. The guards all stayed asleep. They ripped his body out of there, tripped over some stuff, whispered to each other, do this, don't do that. Move that. Don't, don't. Move this. Get, get this. And the guards never woke up. Is that the church father Chrysostom said in that time the truth of the resurrection was so real that it was difficult to fabricate a credible falsehood. Look, as we end this passage, I want to leave you with three things. I've got a lot of, a little bit into the, whatever, historical, academic, apologetic stuff around Easter, <laughs> almost. And uh, I don't want us to get stuck in that. This is uh, the living word of God for our hearts and lives. Can I leave you with this, that uh, there's good news in this story? That we are able to be met by the risen Jesus. He's alive. He's the bright and morning star. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Heaven. He's our Savior and our Lord. And he is able and cares to address each of our griefs and sorrows and uncertainties. And we can just rest our lives squarely upon him who is risen for us from the grave. Have you been met by the living Jesus in your life? Do you need to be met by the risen Jesus in your mind, in your heart, in your living? He is risen for us that we might live. Secondly, I think we can leave uh, from this passage without any fear of death. You know, there comes a time in our lives when death gets bigger and bigger in our, in our minds. You know, if you're under 25, probably maybe you don't really think about that too, too much. <laughs> but as we go through life, you know, oftentimes death can be sitting up here 
and it is going, it's something that all of us face. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has risen from the grave, that death is defeated, that Christ is the victory. And we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, neither death nor life. And finally, if I can leave you with the good news of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, that every sorrow in your life and my life will be comforted. That every sorrow will be comforted. There's that line in one of J.R. Tolkien's books when one of the characters says, uh, will everything sad <laughs> become untrue? And I think that because Jesus lives, we can, we can say that, that, that death <laughs> will be swallowed up, that every tear will be wiped away, that all of the regrets that we have, all the sorrows we have, all the second guesses we have shall be uh, made well, uh, shall be healed in him who reigns in heaven for us. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this, your word. Uh, may it be to us a light to our path and a lamp to our feet as we are sent from here today. In Jesus' name, amen.